Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, worship team. Um, thank you to you all for singing this morning as well. I am Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Good to see you guys. It's always an honor to be with you here this morning. Those joining online, again, good to see you guys this morning. I'm excited for this morning because this morning, my friends, we get the special opportunity of having a casting call here this morning. Yes, you've heard it right. We're having a casting call. I need a couple of characters this morning. Are you ready? That was not very enthusiastic. Are we ready for that? All right, there we go. The first person I'm going to need is this person, all right? And so as I look around the room, I'm going to need to find the person who looks most like and can carry the character. Some of you know this character. This is from the 1995 movie. Believe it or not, in 1995, there was movies and there were TVs in 1995, for those who don't know that. This is a Braveheart scene. This is actually Mel Gibson playing the character William Wallace. Here's all you need to know about Braveheart, okay? You've never seen it. That's fine. Scotland revolted against England. You're welcome. He's leading the Scottish army, and he's ready to fight with their small little army. That's all you need to know. So I'm going to need a William Wallace, and I'm looking at Ethan Hackett. All right, Ethan, come on up. Here we go. Thank you, Ethan. Here we go. There's your mic. You're going to be William Wallace. Let's hear for William Wallace this morning. All right. Now, I'm going to need the rest of you to play this role here, okay? <laughs> you, you are these people. Are we ready for that? Can we do that? All right, good. But I do need one more person. All right, I need one more person. And this person I need is a low-resolution blonde soldier, okay? A low-resolution blonde soldier, intimidating, flowing locks of blonde hair. And I think, was that a hand, Dave? That's a Dave Palace, flowing locks of blonde hair. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Dave, thank you very much for being willing to come on up here. I know, I see the hair under there. Thank you, Dave. Let's hear it for Dave Palace, ladies and gentlemen. All right. You're very intimidating, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing great already. All right, so this is, gonna, this is how it's going to work. There are going to be some things that go up on the screen and just follow your cues. You're going to have a roll in a minute, and here we go. We're going to start off. We're, gonna, we're basically replaying Braveheart. It's going to feel practically identical for those who have seen the movie, okay? Are you ready, William? Mr. Wallace? All right. Here's Mr. Wallace. I am William Wallace. I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyr tyranny. 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 Mm -hmm. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Wow. Isn't that inspiring? So as the crowd, yeah, that's good. So William Wallace has stood before you, Scottish Army. No, not very well-equipped Scottish Army. And he's asking, are you ready to fight? And what's your response? Here you are, crowd. Here's what you're going to be. You're going to be like, No one's into it. I'm sorry, Mr. Wallace. No one is into this. Now, Blonde Soldier, are you ready? Ready. <clears throat> this is your big moment. You're going to have to look on that one. Sorry. Ready, Blonde Soldier? Here we go. Fight? Against that? No. That was really good. That was really good. A little troubling, but pretty good. You're responding to our Blonde Soldier friend. You agree? Who in the world would want to fight against that British army, that English army? All right, blonde soldier, you're up again. Ready? Blonde soldier, you're up again. Oh, I'm up again. Yep, oh, let's I'm stay focused, blonde soldier. All right. What color my hair is. There you go. <laughs> we will 
run and we will live. Were you in Braveheart? <laughs> I was. I watched it a few times. Okay. That was really good. Woohoo! All right. Now, William Wallace, you're in a bit of a problem because you got a guy here who's trying to motivate the army against you, but you want something else. So here we go, Mr. Wallace. You ready? All right. I fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least a while and dying in your beds. Many years from now, would you be willing to trade all these days from this day to that for, no, for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Woo! Wow. That was really good. That was really good. That was awesome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of our moment of Braveheart. On the end of William Wallace's call, they're going to take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, right? And then we're going to go fight for them. All right, ladies and gentlemen, can we hear it for yeah. our blonde soldier and William Wallace? That was very good. If you, you don't even need to watch Braveheart now, friends. I mean, you have just seen it right here. Oh, man, thank you guys very much. So, you know what? I mean, what, what, what they're doing in that movie with the Scottish Army without much equipment, being riled up by William Wallace in his final call, on those last days when you finally lay your head down on the bed on your dying days, would you give all of your days just for one chance to come back here to this moment and fight? Because even though they might kill you, later on you're going to realize that you died here whether you fought or ran. So will you fight for that freedom? And that animating value of freedom is so um, unifying and catalyzing for every culture and every people all the time. That cry for freedom and to fight for freedom. And I want to make the case this morning that when the Apostle Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, when he wrote his letter to Galatians, he was not unlike William Wallace. And the early Christians were not unlike the crowd, the Scottish crowd who was not well equipped to fight against the English army, who was very well equipped. But in the world of Paul and Galatians, early Christians are the Scottish army, but who's on the other side? The English army is religion, is the law, is rules. The English army is well equipped and never gives up. The English army of law, its arrows, which you have felt before, are shame. Its spears are guilt. Its generals fight for tradition, and it holds those things within its borders, and it's always fighting battles. The English army of religion finds winners on one side and, and sinners on the other side. This battle is always being fought, and Paul is going to argue, and almost in a William Wallace kind of way, coming to this early group of Christians and asking, are you going to fight for the freedom that Christ died for. You're not going to be well equipped, but the enemy will be relentless and big. But I'm going to ask you, are you going to be willing to fight for what Christ died for? And here's what I want to make the case for this morning is this, that freedom, I think you know this first part at least, freedom doesn't come without a fight, even for Christians who are guided by love. The reason I say that is because for most people when they think about Christianity, they tend to think Christians are people of love, and they should think that. They're kind, right? The highest guiding value is love of God and love of others. Well, well stated. The problem is people who think about themselves as people of love only forget sometimes that there are times when a fight, a stand, must be taken. 
And this is where Paul kind of riles up the crowd, if you will. And I don't want to water down any of Paul's teaching because the words he uses are strong. There's a reason that our English translators use exclamation marks in our Bibles that we'll read this morning because the words that Paul wrote, when he wrote his little Greek words and took pen to papyrus and wrote down these words, they were strong words. He was calling people to action, to fight against the enemy that is relentless. And that is the passage I want to take you to this morning, the work of Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't, there's one in the chair near you. You can look it up on your phone or whatever it might be. But Galatians is two-thirds of the way into your Bible. And Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to land this morning and chat for a few minutes about what Paul is saying there. So let me begin in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 with the strength of what Paul says. And he puts it this way. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So it's for freedom, he says, beginning of it. It's for freedom. It's the call for freedom. By the way, this isn't the freedom of um, American political freedom. This has nothing to do with America, by the way. So if this verse is ever quoted in defense of a political position that is so far off base, this is neither right nor left, up or down. This has nothing to do with the freedom that we hear people fighting for today around some of our hot-button social issues. That is not in play. The freedom that Paul is talking about is the freedom that Christ has bought for all who will believe in him alone, the freedom from tradition and the law to justify or make us right. He said, that's the freedom that Christ has set us free to live in. Therefore, stand firm, he said, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You should know that this is the first of three times in the next few verses where he says, do not let, do not let, do not let. In other words, what he's saying to the people is, you have the power, friends. It's almost as if you're the Scottish army and they're saying, don't let the English army advance over this line. Do not let it happen. You are empowered for this. Do not let it happen. The arrows of shame, the guilt of spear will come. They are going to come. Do not, he says, let it happen. Stand firm. Do not let this happen. Don't let what happen? Don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's what he's saying I'm trying to make, help you avoid. Don't let that burden of slavery be put back upon you. You know, what does that look like? Here's what I think that looks like. Monday morning, you wake up. As you're going through your morning coffee routine or your morning exercise routine or your morning devotional routine, whatever your morning routines are, or maybe you wake up in the afternoon because mornings are simply too hard for you. Maybe you have an afternoon routine. Whatever those are, and you start scrolling through, whether it's your social media feed or a news feed, and you begin to reflect on the amazing lives of the people that you're seeing in perfect poses on Instagram or Facebook or even the things you're learning about on Twitter or the news that's stressing you out. And you see that, man, this, this woman started her day with a devotional thing, and I started my day with a throwing up child, and I'm never going to relate and compare to, to, to the strength of that. And boy, this person's home is just immaculate and amazing. And boy, I wish that my kids wouldn't be here. I wish they would be where these kids are right here. And you begin to feel the arrows of shame 
If only you were a better mom, you know, you probably could do a better job. If only, Dad, you were a little more faithful, you probably could do a better job too. And if only you would, then God would probably be more pleased and satisfied with you. Maybe for you, it's in the mirror. You wake up and you're trying to do your hair, trying to relate to that one, okay? You wake up and you're thinking to yourself, if only, like there's reasons people don't, don't like me and I don't quite fit in, and if only I were prettier, if only I were thinner, I just need to lose five pounds would probably do it for me, maybe 15 would do it. If only I were a little faster or stronger, if only I could sing the way that they could sing. And within that mirror, you are facing the enemy constantly, this yoke of slavery that says, if only you will, then you will get more, that you will be justified in the eyes of people and maybe in the eyes of God. And the arrows are coming in constantly. And Paul is saying, in these spaces where you are tempted to be justified by how strong and mighty and consistent and faithful and religious you are, he says, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In those moments, you must stand firm because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is the freedom of accepting who you are, not just who you are, but how Christ himself has saved you in the space you were. One of my favorite passages, I've shared it with you before, Romans 5, 8, while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. Before you were all prettied up, before you were faithful and amazing mom or dad, before you had a great home, before any of that, before you even turned to him, God, the eternal God of the world, decided to send his son Christ to die for you in that place of contempt, anger, pain, even immorality. God found value in you there. And it's for that freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not let yourself, he says, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he goes on, verse 2. He's strong here, again, very strong. Mark my words, he says, as if he could just, highlighters didn't exist, but if he could highlight it, if he could write it down, if he could put it in front of them as a screensaver on their computer, if he could put it as a, as a, wallpaper on their phone, if he could just do something with this to make this sit in front of them every day they woke up, it would be this, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let, again, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, this is not an issue that we face today, the circumcision issue, but again, you should know, circumcision was related to the only way that these people knew to relate to God in good standing was to be circumcised. It was Old Testament into New. And so whatever those things are for us today, we have them, they're just not circumcision, right? Whether it's church attendance, how we post about ourselves on social media, how consistent faithful we are with what we listen to, what we watch, who we hang out with, how all those things work. He's saying, if you let yourself fall prey to habits or exercises that will justify you in the eyes of others or in the eyes of God, if you think that's where your freedom or value will come from, he, he said, you, you, you have basically made, not basically, you have made Christ of no value at all. I mean, no value at all. It's incredibly strong. He said, if you let this come in, if you let those arrows hit, and justify yourself, you have made Christ of no value to you. And he goes on, again, I declare to you, every man and woman, I will argue that's not there, but it is there, that's what it means, every person who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey, then he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be, and here's this word, justified by the law, 
have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So again, he's saying, if you're going to fall into the law, just know, and you know this is true, that if when you look in the mirror, you see your value relative to the other pretty girls in your class, or the value relative to the other strong young men who are around you, and you see your value relative to the people who have musical skill and drama ability that you don't have, and if you see your value relative to the parents who are raising kids in a different way and you're jealous of what they can do, and if you see your value relative to that, he said, you can value yourself that way. But just know that will now be your master, and it will never be satisfied. There will always be prettier girls. There will always be stronger men. There will always be parents who will seem to do better. There will always be a future out there that you will never achieve, and someone will always be stronger, faster, more intellectual, more reasoned, more calm, more patient than you are. If this is where our value comes in this space, he says, you may as well make that your master, you are then obligated to obey it in its entirety, all that that master requires of you. There's an alternative. And it's in verse 5, he introduces this alternative. He says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. I hope you can feel the slowdown in his cadence. He's saying, through the Spirit, not the law, through the Spirit, we are now going to wait. We're going to eagerly wait by faith for the righteousness to come for which we hope. Here's what he's saying. Let me put it in terms of, um, some, some of you know, I enjoy watching bike racing. Okay, and I know many do not know much about that, which is sad for you. I'll be honest. So here's the deal in bike racing. If you want to win the race, you cannot be in front too early. Because with bike racing, the biggest problem is moving the wind that is in front of you. And so having people in front of you to break the wind. Sorry, I had to say that. I, I couldn't help it. Okay. To draft them is the smartest and only way to win a bike race, especially when it's a sprint. Now, if there's a 15 or 20 people in this group of bike racers charging toward this really important finish line, you need to be positioned somewhere around five, six, or seven, depending on how far back you are, because you get a draft behind them, a big draft. Sometimes people decide that they get anxious, they see the finish line, you know, 500 meters in front of them, let's say sometimes even a half a mile in front of them, and some people just can't help it. They want to win so badly that they break out from the pack and sprint, and they're feeling great about where they're at, but what they don't know is the smarter people are being what I like to call patiently aggressive behind them. They're waiting. It's not time yet to go. You have to be willing to risk losing the race to be able to win it. And so these people who go early are striving for and wanting to get to the finish line to win. They want to get it. They just burn their energy. They go. They think they're winning. And then all of a sudden, there's a rush of people. Because when you're in a draft and the person in front of you goes, you don't even have to burn your energy until the very last minute. And inevitably, people get passed at the finish line by those who are able to wait, even in the middle of their aggression. And this, in a way, is what Paul is saying. He said, friends, if you want to, you can attack life like the person who leaves that group early. If you want to try to find your justification in your grades, 
in your beauty, in your business acumen, if you want to find your value in your justification in the things that you look out there and people affirm you on, you can, but it is going to burn through your energy in a quick way. What I want you to do is sit within the wind of the Spirit for a minute. Let Him lead and stay in His pack, so to speak. Let Him break that. Sit in that draft. Keep moving forward, but wait eagerly. Await. Don't strive so hard to find your identity and value in the things that you do and that others will affirm about you. Sit in that for a little bit. Don't jump off the front. Don't go too quick. Don't try to find that. Eagerly await the hope that will come, is what he says. And then he says something that I would not expect. I really wouldn't. And this is our final verse for the morning. He says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I wouldn't expect that. Because what he's saying is, first of all, clearly he's saying circumcision has no value. He's saying to people, don't, don't, don't fall into the, don't fall prey to the law. Don't, don't do that. But I would just assume, well, then if circumcision has no value, then uncircumcision has value, right? <laughs> like better to be uncircumcised than circumcised. To which Paul switches this up here at the beginning of the verse, and he makes it clear that it's so insightful for him and so helpful for me to learn. For in Christ, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision actually has any value. What a weird statement, right? Now, here's how I think that plays out in my life, and some of you have seen people who've grown up in more conservative places um, whether it's in the Amish community or more conservative religious backgrounds. When they grow up, sometimes they move out of those. And so for me, when I was younger, right, um, one of the, there was a couple of rules. One of them, believe it or not, I just mentioned to someone this morning, um, I, I, we weren't allowed to watch Tom and Jerry after a little while. Isn't that sad? Because at some point along the way, someone said that Tom and Jerry was a violent cartoon and would teach children violence, and that Jesus is not about violence. Now, I'm going to be honest. I never thought about harming anyone after I watched a Tom and Jerry episode. But, you know, be that as it may, that was what, what happened, you know, for us. When I got older, you know what I did? I watched Tom and Jerry, like, in the closet, you know? Like, don't, don't tell anybody that you're watching Tom and Jerry. Now, now here's the thing. Like, neither, Paul would say, neither watching Tom and Jerry nor not watching Tom and Jerry actually has value. For some, it's R-rated movies. You grew up in a home where an R-rated movie, no matter what it was, is carte blanche. You Christians cannot go to those movies. And so you would follow that rule. And then later on, you're like, actually, I'm going to go to one. Like, don't tell anybody. I'm going I'm to sneak into one. And you sneak into an R-rated movie. And what he's saying is, listen, if you follow the law and don't do R-rated movies, that actually doesn't justify you. If you break the law and in your freedom, I'm free from those R-rated movie thing. Now I'm free from that. I'm living in that. That doesn't justify you either. He's saying, friends, are you looking at the wrong thing? There's something that transcends that, something that goes beyond. Neither one has value. What does have value? He finishes here in the end of verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is this faith 
faith in the eager anticipation that you will be justified one day. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to jump out early to try to win. Faith that Christ justifies you. Faith that expresses itself, that meets with our friends, that engages the world around us with love, that doesn't judge because they do see an R-rated movie and doesn't give them unnecessary value because they don't. The love of one another. Faith that realizes that we have found value in being justified by Christ alone, by faith alone, that then expresses that and takes that and gives that to the people around us with great regularity. Freedom. It doesn't come without a fight. And so I want to say three things as I wrap this up this morning. Number one, I want to encourage you this way. To stand firm and do not let, if you will. Stand firm and do not let. Three times Paul says that. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let this come. Guard your heart and mind, my friends. Guard your heart and mind. Stand firm. This is the first place to fight. When you're scrolling through the feed, you feel shame and guilt that you aren't enough, that you haven't done enough. You regret the decision again to look at the things online that you've been looking at. You regret the business decisions that you've made to release people from jobs and it hasn't gone well. You look back and you're disappointed with yourself for how the day at work went. You're late again for the third day this week and you told your spouse you would be home on time, but again you're late, you're not holding up your end of the deal. And things aren't even going that well at work and your value tanks. Friends, this is the arrows of shame from the English army of religion and duty. It says, you will find your value, friends, if you join us, and we'll give you the rules to follow. You're just going to have to always follow everyone. And if you do, we'll be glad to welcome you on our team, to which William Wallace in a way stands there and says, are you willing to fight on this end? To which Paul says, stand firm, do not let yourself be burdened again by the arrows of shame and guilt that come your way. Second thing is this. I want you to encourage you this way, to fight taking pride in following or not following the law. Again, it isn't that I do or that I don't. It isn't the movie. It isn't Tom and Jerry. It isn't what I do with that or what I don't do with that. Because some of us have taken great value, and now I'm free. Man, I'm free. I'm free from the things that my parents used to raise me with. I'm free from that kind of lifestyle. Now I'm free to do this, and we take pride in that as if it somehow justifies us and makes us better people. It doesn't. We are justified only on the basis of our faith in Christ because of what he has done for us. So fight taking pride in following or not following the law. And thirdly, I want to encourage you this way. Fight the temptation to replace love with power. Where in the world does that come from? Fight the temptation to replace love with power. If Paul is right at the end in verse 6 when he says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love, there is a temptation, and religion makes this temptation accessible to each one of us. There's a temptation to replace love with, with power. What I mean is power. When I have power in the room, I can make you, so to speak, I can make you. I can force you to make a decision on whether or not you're going to be in good standing with me. If you're an employer, if you're a patriarch or a matriarch of a family, if you have social capital in school and you're the cool kids at school, you have influence. 
You have power. And people will respond to get in your good graces. They will. And in that, you have power to lead and shape. But it's also power to control and move. And what Paul is saying is in those moments when you realize I have power in the room, don't replace love with power. Henry Nouwen writes it this way. He says, it seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asks, do you love me? And we ask, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? We have been tempted, he writes, to replace love with power. The long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. The only thing that matters, Paul says, is faith expressed through love. Now, I want to take you back for a minute to where we began. Standing on our battleground here with our fearless leader, William Wallace, our questionable blonde soldier. And William Wallace asked the question of each of us, and I want you to hear his words one more time in the context of what we just read from the book of Galatians. So let's listen to Wallace one more time. Dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from the day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take our lives, but they, they'll never take our freedom? And that freedom that Christians now fight for is not American freedom, but it's freedom in Christ. That when those enemies come, shooting the arrows of shame and guilt, that we stand firm alone, that Christ has saved you, even while you were still a sinner. Friends, freedom, freedom doesn't come without a fight. Stand firm. Stand firm on the gospel. When you're reminded of your shame and guilt, recall, tell yourself the story again of God's love for you, even in the middle of your guilt and shame. But whatever you do, friends, know this. If you call yourself a Christian, this message is for you. Fight for this freedom. Fight for this freedom, because this is where life is. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be here this morning to reflect on ancient words of an early follower of Jesus trying to set the pace and direction for Christians, for the Christian church from the very beginning. And so as we go back in time, back to our history, back to the earliest stages of what it meant to follow Christ, I pray that you would help us to fight for that freedom. Freedom from shame and guilt that comes. Freedom from this belief when we look at one another and think, oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified enough, I just don't have enough, 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 enough. I must do something more to make myself valuable. I pray that this grace that we find in Christ will transform us. That as we engage with one another, we will not use power to influence each other, but we will use love to care well for Father, I pray that you'd help us to stand firm in our hearts and in our minds and not let ourselves be burdened again 
by a yoke of slavery. We love you. Thank you for our time here this morning. In Jesus' name.